one has to kind of accept that everyone is stretched really thin. And, you know, you often hear men and women, some arguments that they end up getting in is who's working harder or who's, whose life in that instance is harder. When in reality, it's like, they're both super hard. This is just a very difficult stage to be in with multiple young children. Everybody is stretched very thin. No one is paying attention to themselves to the degree that we should. No one is probably paying attention to their couple to the degree that we should. It's just a hard stage. And my main objective with the book, if I had to boil it down, is to encourage men to be confident and assertive and proactive when it comes to parenting and then subsequently when it comes to partnering in parenting. And then for women to then relinquish some control and try not to micromanage situations that they typically feel inclined to micromanage. I'm Amy. And I'm Abby. And as women, we are constantly comparing ourselves to others. But your life isn't supposed to look like hers. Being your best self means standing firm in your decisions and always being willing to grow with a purpose. We get vulnerable and real with an honest look into the challenges and triumphs we all face. Every woman listening gets the opportunity to choose what life looks like for herself. I'm excited for the podcast today. We are interviewing Colby Johnson, who is the author of the new book, Tips and Truths for Dudes, 32 Ways to Win at Husbanding and Be the Best New Dad Ever according to a lesbian mom. She is married to my childhood friend, Vale, and together they have three children. We're excited to dive into all the things today, Colby, but I would love if you started by introducing yourself to our listeners. Thanks, Amy, and thank you both for having me. Um, as you said, my name is Colby Johnson, and I am married to and co-parent with a woman. Um, we have three young children, which even as I hear you say it to me and I say it does not feel real. It's a lot, <laughs> but um, that's true. And I uh, am a journalist by trade. So I've been my whole life, spent my career diving into different topics. I've been a city city government reporter. I've covered VIP parties in Las Vegas. I've ridden snowmobiles and written about it. Uh, it's just home and design magazines I've worked for. So a lot of different things. Um, and what I find is that I mostly love observing people and cultures and doing research and interviewing people and writing about it. Um, and one particular interest for me, kind of the particular interest is I'm interested in relationships and gender dynamics and parenting dynamics, which really led to the premise of the book, that goal of bridging the gap between women and men in parenting. Well, my life seems pretty boring now that you've said all of <laughs> yeah. those things. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm not the best snowmobiler. That I know. <laughs> um, and right away in chapter one, it was just captivating. So first of all, it's so fun to flip through those pages. But right away, you talk about your road to conceiving your first child. Sure. And it was quite the journey. So it started off with you and then eventually ended with Val actually carrying your first babe. So can you go into a little bit more on this journey? Sure. I mean, in short, it was a lot of time and a lot of money um, and a lot of emotion. You yeah. know, when when Val and I started, um, decided we wanted to have a family, we both decided that we wanted to have a biological child and have the experience of being pregnant. And because I'm older, I'm eight years older than her, um, it was logical to start with me. So this was kind of in my early 30s. And we did the research and bought the sperm, which is a whole other topic that we won't go down the path of. It was a very interesting process and found the doctor and just really started doing the thing. Um, and 
just kind of months and months of inseminations and medications and appointments, ultrasounds, um, which ultimately was all unsuccessful. And then I finally did one round of IVF, um, which was also unsuccessful. Fun fact, by the way, IVF. Did you guys know that in vitro stands for in glass in Latin? Like, because it's done in a Petri dish? Interesting no, fact. I did not. Yeah. In vitro means in glass in Latin. So <laughs> that's all I got out of that experience was that, was that knowledge. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, it, it just was not successful. And so, like I say in the book, we kind of threw in the towel on, on me and passed the torch to Val, which... I think it was like a, about a year and a half or two years. So it was a long time. And a, like I said, a lot of money and a lot of emotional work and effort. Yeah, I can imagine that was a really hard torch to pass if you had wanted to carry um, one of your guys' children. But then we have to talk about you guys having sequels. More yeah. recently, you welcomed twins Kate and Cameron to your family. Mm-hmm. And so, Colby, did you find yourself having to revisit your own book as you expanded into the very full season of Twins <laughs> plus a toddler? Because I'm wondering if there's any revisions that you needed to add. Right. there, It is a very full season, that's for sure. Um, but quickly, I think, like, actually, for me, it wasn't a hard torch to pass. It was, on the contrary, very relieving because I could kind of get off this roller coaster of emotion and time, which is something that as a couple with two women, we were fortunate to have, we have just like another uterus sitting over there waiting to help. And so I was able, we were able to move on to another option that could get us to our goal of being parents. So it was so much more relieving for me once I kind of came to the point of recognizing that I had done all that I could or that I was willing to do and to move on. And I think without knowing it at the time, it may have been the very beginning seeds of the book, because I think for me, Um, being a successful parent and then partner requires a lot of this concept of reframing along the way and then letting go of these previous expectations that you had had in your mind or about your future or about who you are and the roles that you think you're going to play then to actually deal with and address the reality of the situation you're dealt with. So I think, you know, that was, that was lovely (laughs) to be able to pass along. And then we had to then again do that, as you say, when we found out we were having twins, because we did not um, expect that at all. We did just insemination, insemination with Val and it's a very low probability of twins. And, oh my and gosh. yeah, it was very, very unexpected. And, um, and so, yes, I had to do that reframing again, because it wasn't something we were really wanting or ready for to have three children. We had an idea of two, and so we had to do a little mourning along the way there. But yes, I did, to answer your question, I did revisit my book. And <laughs> <laughs> um, I wouldn't say that I would add anything so much as it felt very reaffirming and how critical it is, especially in that first go-round, to practice good habits and um, maybe break bad habits and then get that foundation really solid during that first pregnancy and child to be able to really absorb the impact of of having multiple children, especially twins, it was just so much. And I think, um, you know, if one child is a shock to the system and the relationship, um, certainly two and three, especially at the same time, is just wild. And there would, you have so much less time and so much, so much less energy and more demands that it makes it, I think that much harder to do the work of building out those skills and, 
and thinking about things differently about all the things that I talk about in the, in the book that, you know, tactically, I think men particularly, but women as well have to practice to build that foundation. So yeah, I felt, I felt reaffirmed in the, the, uh, the tips that I gave and I definitely took them myself, I will say. And I just wanted to share, I love how you answered that because I think right there was an example of, um, kind of two assumptions that people could have made. Number one, which I did, was that it was hard for you to really to hand that off to Vale. And then number two, I think having you guys have twins, I would have assumed maybe that you had used IVF and and put in um, two embryo. Yeah, no, uh-uh. I will never... like, we did not choose <laughs> no, this for ourselves. No, I will never forget because we had a, um, we first went in for the ultrasound and they saw two sacs, but only one, I guess, I don't know what it's called, fetus at the time. And they um, they said, no, it's not going to be twins. It's it's not, it might've been I- immediately, but it isn't anymore. And the, the doctor said, I'm 100% certain it is a singleton. And then like two weeks later in an ultrasound, I was at a meeting, Val texted me and was like, it's twins. I'm like, that is not funny. And that's she's not, like- That's that- not 100%. No. <laughs> no, that is- And I'm, she just texted, I am not kidding. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, oh. So that took some- That took some- That was Did you have to more, leave the meeting or were you- Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was like the, all the blood rushed from my body and I just like- Talk about being a fainter, you know? <laughs> oh. <laughs> Well, you talk, about the, you talk about the morning of it because when you all of a sudden go into life expecting to have a toddler and a baby and all of a sudden it's two babies, like you yeah. are morning a different type of life. So I love yeah, these totally. right there. Um, and one thing that I noticed right away was that there's so many traps. So in your book, you brought up how many traps there are that it's easy to fall into as a father. And your material hi- highlights that right away. And I also loved, thank you so much. All the men out there are thanking you as well for making it be such a fast read. My husband, yes. Colin, <laughs> is not a reader and he can finish it in one night. Like, what is it? 30, 60 minutes if you're somebody who gets distracted pretty easily. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. See, and it's very skimmable. So I meant it to be very digestible for people. And you we're like nodding our heads. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yep. And it honestly could be the roller coaster of emotions. So I'm expecting our third baby right now. So many hormones going on, but I was literally laughing. I was all of a sudden emotional and then totally nodding along with your advice. So what gave you the idea in the first place to write this Colby? You know, I think it was like a hundred brunches and a hundred happy hours that I've had with, <laughs> with like, my female friends and my male friends. And because I was a little bit older when I had, when we had our first child, I became a parent. Um, you know, all my friends, a lot of my friends, I should say, had uh, children already and had older children. And so I was listening to their vantage point years later, maybe a five-year-old, a seven-year-old, and complaints that they would have or incidences that they would describe just these same stories I would hear over and over. And it felt like such a bad rut. And then I would hear it from my male friends um, the same incidences, but from a different vantage point. And I could relate so clearly to both vantage points. And I think a lot of men felt comfortable sharing things with me really honestly, because they knew I understood to some degree, because I, I have a wife as well. So I think that they realized I wouldn't be judging them 
And so I would get these very honest assessments of situations from my male friends. And I, I would, it, I would hearken to these conversations I, ha- I had had with my female friends and just recognize it became so clear to me that these discrepancies between the experiences weren't so vast and insurmountable that there was actually just often gender predispositions or negative cultural gender gender patterns. And again, all the disclaimers of I, in the book and right now through this conversation, I lean into stereotypes and, and um, rely on generalizations, which, you know, when we talk about gender is, is not the full picture, of course, but there's a lot of valuable nuggets in those generalizations. And so I really just started to, to, to see all this play out. And there was actually one very specific incident or interaction that I witnessed that I left and felt like I need to write a book about this. So I went to a friend's house, a couple friend, a heterosexual couple friend, and they had a child who was maybe 10 months old. And I was going to go with them to a barbecue. So the four of us were going to go, including the child. And I'm sitting there and I got to their house and they, they were running a little bit late. We were late to the party, which is fine. But the wife was frantically in, in the kitchen, just kind of an open concept, in the kitchen, like getting everything together, getting the diapers, getting the clothes, getting the, just all the things, thinking about, you could see it on her face. Like, do I have my pump parts? Do I have my, you know, suntan lotion? Is, does the child have a hat? And I looked over and the man, her husband was literally like sitting on the couch on his phone mm-hmm. and little baby child is like on the floor. Fine. And I'm just watching this pan out and I'm like, oh, you know, you could just see she was starting to get so frustrated because she was overwhelmed and she's looking at him and she's kind of like, could you do something? You could just see it on her face. And at some point she looked at him and, and she said to her husband and she said, can I, um, can you just dress baby? Can you go change him? And the husband like jumped up, you know, he's like, yeah, of course, of course. And said, you know, what, what should I put him in? What, what do you want him to wear? And the wife looked at him and it's like, I don't know, just clothes, whatever, you know? And so he takes the baby upstairs and the wife looks at me and she kind of gave this eye roll, like, oh, you know, like I've got to task him with something like he's, he can't, he can't do anything without me telling him what to do. Kind of, you know, kidding, but not really. And then he came down and the baby was in an outfit and she looked at, the wife looked at the husband and was like, not that, like, no, that's not right. And she walked upstairs to get a different outfit. And then the husband looked at me, like rolled his eyes and was like, oh, well, if you really wanted to have him wear that, then you should have told me or you should have done it yourself. And it was just like this perfect microcosm of these slight differences that people could, each of them could have made that set them not at odds with each other, but on the same team. And you could just see that microcosm play out over and over and over again. And then just the, the thing that initially starts as just a slight eye roll, a slight like, oh, I'm annoyed or, oh, that guy or that girl just becomes later, years later, like really, like, I really feel disrespected by you. I really feel frustrated with you. And it just feels like in the very beginning of, of that journey of, of being parents that you can make these slight differences and it would be so much better. And so that's, I left that barbecue and was like, well, I'm writing, I'm writing this book. People need to know. <laughs> You know, well, you know what? 
And when you were sharing that story, I related to it so much. And Drew and I fell into the same exact trap down to the diaper bag, um, getting packed frantically by a mom that was upset and annoyed. So it's just, it's mind blowing that so many of us fall into the same trap and the idea that you're trying to help people avoid when they can, or at least become more mindful. Um, when I read your book, I was like, I think every man should read this. It was There were so many good tips. And as Abby pointed out, it was so digestible. So the one that Drew tried to read, I think he got like three chapters in because it was right. it was month by month of pregnancy. It's like he doesn't really need to know how the baby's necessarily like developing, right? Um, but he needs to know how, as a couple, we're going to be able to tackle this huge new role that does come with a lot of stress um, mm-hmm. into the relationship. So being a woman that is in a relationship with another woman, do you feel like that gave you unique insight? I know you talked about like hearing from your guy friends and Mm -hmm. being able to relate to them and then hearing from your female friends, but do you feel like your relationship itself gives you more of an insight? Yeah. I mean, I think again, cultural generalization, but as a woman and as a mother, um, we women and mothers are just so aware. We're so aware of what's going on around us. Like I will sit at a barbecue again, we'll just say a barbecue and you'll watch every mother or at the park, every mother is acutely aware. Even if you're talking about something distinctly with her having a conversation, every woman there is acutely aware of like the danger level of every child in the, in their vicinity. Like, Oh, my child's swinging just a little too high or, you know, and not even just your own children. It's something I think innately in us as women and mothers, we probably grow up like this too, watching our mothers and other women be the caretakers and so forth. And then you look at men and this is not, it's not, (laughs) neither is anyone's fault. It's just kind of a reality. Like a man could stand at a barbecue by a grill and have a beer with his friend and not be aware at all of where his child is much less other people's children, you know? And so I think, and there's again, nothing completely wrong with that. It's just, those are stereotypes and they're, they exist though. And I think then, so I could sit there from that perspective and recognize that as a, as a man, maybe that wasn't his job from the very beginning, like birth mothers, particularly. So I look at it then from the other vantage point, birth mothers, particularly like you literally as you are right now, Abby, you're like making a human in your body, then you birth it and then you feed it and you keep it alive. And your whole, like your brain, your hormones, everything's telling you that you need to prioritize this thing over everything else. And that's, that's something that as a non-birth parent, you don't go through. Um, And certainly a man, you don't go through that. So it's not like you're not just so tied to that thing all the time in that way. Um, And so I think that kind of that how we start men and women or myself even as a non-birth parent how you start is so different that you can see how the gap or the bridge would would occur I mean even I talk about this in the book but something that happened for me that I had that became a blind spot um was since Val was breastfeeding which she loved she ended up loving which was cool um I never fed Remy you know ever I never thought about her food I never ever fed her. It was just like not my job. And so it became this total blind spot for me. And like, even to this day, sometimes I will take Remy 
on, you know, on an adventure to the park or something and I will not bring food. I, w- I won't even think about it. Like it's just, it's just bizarre. So it's not because I don't care or I don't want to help or I don't, I just don't, that hasn't been my job and I wasn't part of my, my role. And so I don't think about it. And so I think that's something that I have to continue to remind myself and, and work harder at constantly. And I think men have a lot of work to do in those little incremental, like missed opportunities um, that are fundamentally blind spots. Like that guy back to the story of, of the couple the guy sitting there on his phone, it's not like he's just a jerk and doesn't want to help. He's just, it doesn't occur to him to help in that moment. He's just waiting for her, trying to be right. patient. It's not like he's just this complete jerk. He's, he's just not thinking about it. Yeah. We interviewed a therapist, Molly Millwood, and she said, she's like, you know, most of us in relationships are not in relationships with terrible people. Like they're not trying to be not helpful. They just literally haven't thought of it. Um, I know for Drew and I, one thing that has really helped is like now when we go on a family adventure, the five of us, he is in charge of diapers. He calls it diapers and wipes. So he has (laughs) to have the diapers and the wipes ready. And then he also is the snack packer. So he's got to pack all the snacks. And now that he has that role, it's like, it's completely out of my mind. It's his task. And that's just what works. So I know sometimes women tend to get annoyed with their husband, but I think sometimes just saying, okay, this is what you're in charge of from now until ever. I'm not going to, and take and offload what you don't want. So if you're particular about what your kids wear, which I know some people are, don't offload that one, but anyone can pack diapers, wipes, and snacks. <laughs> right. And like you said, making those decisions in advance. So you're ultimately stopping an argument or a frustration on a macro level before it happens on a micro level every day. It's just really a, a, a strong strategy to avoid those resentments. Um, but it's hard because you have to, you have to then like sit down and make that decision. Like you're the dipes and wipe guy. And then you probably have to, and then you probably have to remind him and remind him and remind him. And then he'll do it like anything, you know, you have to practice, I think. So yeah, it's, it's interesting. (laughs) And you might not realize what you need until the baby's even here. So we can have all these really great conversations in pregnancy of, okay, I know I want you to do this feeding at night or to wash the pump parts and wash the bottles. And then all of a sudden baby comes and you realize kind of like Amy said, like, oh my gosh, I definitely want bottles washed this exact way don't offload that part, but there's a million things that we can do. And as women or as the birth parent, we just have so much going on in our minds. Right. So now that you have a toddler and then also twins, that second pregnancy probably was a little bit different. And I know Amy and I both experienced this. We have very loving husbands, but their attention was definitely more stretched during that second and then now third pregnancy. And obviously there's so many demands. There's life, there's work, there's the toddlers or multiple, multiple children. And it can really feel like the mom sometimes gets the short end of the stick. So let's just say the first time around, Colin was like reading cute books to the baby all the time, nightly foot rubs. I am not getting those foot rubs this time around. (laughs) And having your wife, Val, be pregnant with twins the second time, I have to imagine that her needs were a lot harder to ignore. Can you talk a little bit more about how you guys navigated that period of life? Maybe any tips that you have for those couples that are adding more children? Sure. I think um, Val and I talk a lot about kind of age and stage, like whatever age and stage we're at, we should accept and adjust to. And I think 
um, like our partnership today looks a lot different than it did 10 years ago, than it did three years ago and being able to adjust and not hold the same level of expectation that, you know, you know, maybe there isn't time for the foot rub during this pregnancy, but there's certainly something else that I can do to remove an obstacle or a stress from her life that doesn't necessarily completely feel unbalanced in terms of a a weight that's being carried. But I think in reality, it's like one has to kind of accept that everyone is stretched really thin. And, you know, you often hear men and women, some arguments that they end up getting in is who's working harder or who's whose life in that instance is harder when in reality it's like they're both super hard this is just a very difficult stage to be in with multiple young children everybody is stretched very thin no one is paying attention to themselves to the degree that we should no one is probably paying attention to their couple to the degree that we should it's just a hard stage and my main objective with the book if i had to boil it down is to encourage men to be confident and assertive and proactive when it comes to parenting, and then subsequently when it comes to partnering in parenting. And then for women to then relinquish some control and try not to micromanage situations that they typically feel inclined to micromanage. But it's kind of that chicken or egg dynamic. Um, And I think if there's intentionality around it, it can be achieved. And oddly, though, like I said earlier, having built that foundation in the first pregnancy, hopefully it can withstand the pressures of a second and or a third child. But it also, the second or third child, presents a new opportunity um, to, it's like another shot, a time to re-up where men can show assertiveness again and they can further take more on maybe as it relates to the older child. And they can, you know, women by inherently will be less controlling of the, the older child or less micromanaging because they simply can't, they, they can't be, you know, given the demands of pregnancy and, and certainly having new infants. So. I think that would be, you know, the tip is to reaffirm your commitment to each other and then also work on, you know, building those and practicing those support mechanisms to help. But also just, again, recognizing that everything, everyone's under a lot of pressure. And so giving a lot of (laughs) forgiveness, I think. Oh, yeah. Colby, you're so wise. (laughs) (laughs) You are. Um, But I, I can relate to that feeling of thinking, oh, well, Drew is at work and that's easier. You know what I mean? Like if you get into that comparison mode, that's not getting the team further down the road. No, Um, no. And it can just build that resentment up. That's for sure. I loved that the book had a lot of tactical advice. That's what we try to do with this podcast. Because some of the things you wrote in there seem so simple, but what happens when things are simple is they can get overlooked. So from the pregnancy section, I have a quote here. It says, clear a path so she can rest by taking on some home-related tasks she normally does. And your example that you gave is go go to the pharmacy and just grab her anti-nausea medication or offer to clean the bathrooms. And to me, that's it right there. Like that shows that you're in it, you're seeing my needs as the one that's not carrying the baby, you're able to still help me. Um, I think that mindfulness in the relationship before the baby even gets to the outside is something so important and something that can really be missing. So other than reading your book, how can women get their partners to start to 
start to see these opportunities without tipping too far into the resentment that we were talking about? Sure. So I think it sounds, again, as simple. It's as simple as having the conversation and asking for it. Asking for it, but also asking, I think, husbands and men to ask themselves at any given moment, if there's one thing they could do, don't read the book, just take this little tip. At any given moment, a man could say to himself or to his wife, what can I do in this circumstance to help? What right now could I do to be helpful? And like thinking back to that, the husband and wife that were dressing the child, like the better scenario would have been had the husband just stood up and been like, can I help? Is there something I can do? And the wife would have said, yeah, could you get him dressed? And the husband would have said, do you want him to wear something specific or should I just pick? And she could have said, have him wear a t-shirt. And he'd be like, great. And then they would have been fine. And that would have been something that they felt like they had done together. And she would have felt so supported and he would have felt so helpful and a part of the thing. And it's just as, as small as him standing up, putting his phone down, standing up and saying, what can I do to help? He doesn't even need to know what to do. And then maybe the next, you know, a better example or a, a next level, like 2.0, would be at that barbecue. I mean, can you imagine this? At the barbecue, if a man looked over and saw his child's diaper was like hanging low and he just walked over and changed it, like went to the diaper bag and changed it himself. Like, can you imagine his wife would be like, oh my God, you're, I love you. We are making yeah, out tonight. You're with it. Yeah. <laughs> we are making out. You know, and so like, I feel like just asking himself in any given moment or asking his wife what he can do to help. And then from the woman's vantage point, saying to him periodically, like, this is what you could do to help me, but not with resentment or a tone of annoyance. Like I, you, this, this is something you could do in this moment to help me or to help us. And I think that that's, it's as simple as that, but The problem is you end up having to have that conversation every day over and over again. And that can feel wearing, but it's worth it. Yeah. (laughs) The revisiting of those conversations sometimes. But I always try to tell myself, I'm like, the point is that we have to get on the same page. And like, if I am feeling overwhelmed and he looks like he's just having the time of his life, like, he's got to get back on this team so that we can share the load. Oh, I was just, it's, it's also reminds me of like, if you wanted to lose 20 pounds, you have to change. It, you can't, it can't just be done in a week. You have to change your diet. You have to exercise. You have to be mindful and intentional about what you want to do. And then you have to, maybe you stray from it a little bit and you have to pull yourself back. You know, it's just constantly revisiting your intention and your goal. Um, I, I think that that's important for people to think about too. Well, yeah, relationships are so fluid. So that's what I loved what you said before with you and Val and thinking of the different years as seasons. And so it's always going to be shifting and molding. Um, I had to laugh in your book because you and I were both at a wedding of one of our mutual friends that got married in Colorado. And we were front row to seeing some of the husbands demonstrate what not to do when attending a wedding with a pregnant wife. It seems like in marriage, there is so much give and take, and the look of an annoyed pregnant woman cannot be missed, unless maybe the husband has had too much to drink. It's something as simple as when you were saying, like, not every social event, get drunk. Like, sometimes 
be with your pregnant wife and don't drink. Like that's the crux of it. Take one for the team. Like all of our social lives go down for a minute. Um, but where do you guys find a balance? Do you have some time for just Colby and Val have some time for just herself without feeling frustrated with each other? You know, I feel like this is kind of a hard one for me to answer because Val particularly is so um, allowing and supportive and it, it, I don't really ever feel like I have to um, like wrestle away time for myself. Um, Like she just, she just really is great at giving it. And therefore I feel like I want to give that back. So her inclination in our relationship really sets a tone, which I'm easily able to follow. Um, I think it, I think about this maybe less as carving out time than I do um, like practicing good habits. Like practically for me, it's showing a lot of gratitude. You know, I think that's really huge. Um, and then carving out that time too is achieved by our, we have kind of a, we've agreed upon a pretty specific division of roles, kind of that wipes and dipes guy thing. Um, I think I like that a lot. I think it's really wise and smart. And again, it seems small and simple, but imagine how many arguments you don't get in because of that agreement. Um, And I think that's a goal is to avoid like kind of duck and dodge these arguments that could build resentments. So Val and I really have a clear division of, of roles as it relates to tactical things or practical, like the, the business of running a family or a household. So like, I don't do any grocery shopping, which is lovely for me because I don't like it. And I, um, but I'm very thankful every time that she does. And I say, so day after day, year after year, I will say like, thank you for getting the groceries. And that feels, I'm sure good to her and vice versa that happens. She, she shows gratitude for me. And so I think though it's not about like, it doesn't answer the question directly of balance finding time for each other, but maybe it's like giving each other respect for who each other is and what each other's doing. And then that feels very supportive so that you can pursue what you need. Does, does that make sense? This is completely. a tricky question yeah, for no, me. Completely. It was, that was a tricky one. Well, and let's go into that a little bit more because the, the mutual respect is so important and that also makes your marriage stronger. It makes your couplehood so much stronger. And mm-hmm. in your book you wrote, because when you dump 500 tons of water, example, your sweet, sweet babe, onto the foundation of a building, example, your relationship, the water will find the cracks, seep into them and cause erosion. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but it will erode. So be a respectful, supportive team and make a plan to divide and conquer the newfound workload before you both become delirious and divided. And we all know babies come home with a lot of responsibility. Like I wish there was a manual that we could just read and know all the ins and outs of taking care of these children. But you talk about how keeping that foundation strong and nourishing the relationship is just, it's everything. And now Mm -hmm. that you guys do have three kiddos, are you still finding the time to keep that couplehood strong? You talk about the respect, you talk about always being grateful and showing gratitude. I love those examples. What other tips do you have for really making sure to keep it strong? Yeah. I mean, I think what's so difficult, especially which I have experienced, like if, if that babe was 500 tons of water, the plus twins is like 30,000. It's just so I can't imagine. insane. Oh. I mean, I think what, what you find is that 
you're so exhausted on every level, on emotional levels, on mental levels, on physical levels, and everyone is in, in the household. And I think from a tactical standpoint, it's just like, we need to get through this. We, but we, it's not just getting through it because whatever we create here, whatever seeds we plant, be it negative or positive, they will, they'll grow and they'll grow into something that's either supportive in the future of us or that is going to be detrimental and work against us in the future. I mean, it, I think it's just a fact. And so in some ways you're thinking like, I just need to get through this night. I just need to get through this night. And if I yell at my partner, then that's fine because we'll just get through it. It'll be fine. But it's not fine because that's kind of like a death by a thousand cuts. And then six years later, 10 years later, when you're kind of out of that fog, these bruises are left, these frustrations on subconscious levels, these resentments. And, and, and that at that point is so hard to unwind because you kind of don't even know the source. You don't know, like it's because she yelled at me in the middle of the night, every night for three months, like that can't happen without damage. And so Val and I, from a tactical standpoint, like to your question about the tactics, I think is just like really trying to apply even in the face of exhaustion and probably uncertainty trying to apply thoughtfulness and intentionalness and trying to, um, you know, stop holding ourselves to these, these standards of, oh, we also have to find time for ourselves to sit down and have a glass of wine. Like, no, we don't, we can't do that. We can't do that. You know? And, and if we try to do that, like if we try to do that and we try to do all these things, ultimately we're missing, you know, the forest for the trees, which is that we individually have to get through this respectfully. Um, of each other and of ourselves and, and for us to be able to support this growing family. So I think a lot about lately like energy management versus time management, like the quality interactions or actions versus the quantity. Um, so I think that, you know, it gets a little non-tactical there, but just back to that reframing, just being thoughtful and sometimes just being quiet, like just don't say it, just don't say the mean thing or the frustrated thing that you want to say. That has served me so well in so many parts of my life. (laughs) Amen to (laughs) that. Definitely. And these can happen whether you have kids or not, like just to keep that couplehood strong, regardless of what your family situation looks like. But as we head into our third birth, I noticed you talking a lot about how birth is messy and girl, I found that to be so true. Like absolutely. (laughs) Even the most beautiful births have just a little bit of mess to them. And you said, one thing I didn't anticipate, for example, was that I'd be holding one of my wife's legs while she pushed. Mm -hmm. Expect to do the same, brother. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) Oh, and I couldn't stop laughing at that because it's true. These are things that in birth you sometimes, sometimes you know about these, but other times you just have no idea of what it's actually going to look like. Right. And because we know that you are prone to fainting, was there any part during the whole pushing process, during the whole birth that really had you worried you might go down? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, the, the, I just, the episiotomy. Oh yeah. I can't even think about it today. <laughs> and we're making you relive it. Oh, <laughs> uh, you're like, my whole body is shivering right now. You can't see me. Uh, um, it was definitely the worst. You, you, uh, that part. I mean, of course I was surprised that I could ride a little adrenaline. Like I was a little bit stronger than I thought I would be. Um, but for sure you don't want to find yourself in like an intense crisis situation with me. (laughs) I'm lucky I made it. Val's lucky I made it. Thank God for the nurses. Oh my gosh. 
Oh, exactly. They are so helpful and they can see that look in the partner's eyes when they're getting a little bit weary. Um, Because there's definitely a lot of sights, sounds, and smells. I've shared this before, but I crapped everywhere when I was delivering coal. (laughs) And like, let it be known that I had warned everyone. I said, I have to poop. And they said, nope, that's your baby. And it was just an unfortunate mistake for the whole room. (laughs) But to get more um, serious for a second, you talked about the fourth trimester. And I think that this just is something that is not spoken about enough, especially from the partner's perspective. Like you shared, it was a really vulnerable time. Um, I don't think that society gets that picture enough, like what her body went through, the huge, enormous shifts in her hormones. You know, maybe she's breastfeeding. She's definitely sleep deprived. Like it's a lot. What was it like watching Vail go through these early stages and what were you not expecting during that time? Yeah, I mean, it's it's difficult to watch your partner who's the birth partner. Um, you know, their body has changed. Their body has been through so much. As you said, they're exhausted. They're now intuitively, instinctively from a physiological perspective, like hyper-focused on this being to the detriment in some instances of themselves. It's like an instinct, which is just a really interesting kind of crazy thing to watch and beautiful at the same time. But, um, I think for me, what I was not expecting was the dominating, at least in our family, the dominating element of breastfeeding. And I, you know, I I dedicate in the book a whole chapter to it because for us, it just became so central to everything. It dictated sleep, it dictated eating, it was our schedule, it was, it was everything. And, and Val as the birth mom, um, you know, she just, she owned it and she, as I say in the book, she became a little obsessed by it, which I totally understand because you have to be. Um, you know, I, I say this in the book too, but breastfeeding moms or Val at least, it, it, it's almost like a mad scientist. You know, you're measuring um, ounces and, you know, it's like liquid gold. You've worked so hard for it and you have to plan. And as the partner, it is very, for me at least, it was very difficult to understand that vantage point because as, as I said even earlier, that wasn't my role and I've never done it. And so I kind of step back and um, observe that I was having a fundamentally different experience than she was in that. And, you know, there were instances where I was potentially disagreeing about a course we should take with, you know, maybe we should introduce formula or maybe we shouldn't. And I, I wasn't expecting to defer um, around uh, one given topic so much, but I just basically came to the conclusion that this is Val's just these, at least as it relates to breastfeeding, are going to be Val's decisions. And that's not a place that I have to lean in. So I wasn't expecting to have to, <laughs> even though throughout the whole book I'm saying, lean in, be assertive, be confident to men. Also, there's a trick to like knowing when to step out. And that was one for me. So I, I, that was an area I wasn't expecting, but interesting. I love how you said that, everything about that. Colin and I have conversations all the time about, because we're trying to plan like trips and what are we going to do for like a vacation or a a couple nights away? And right now with COVID, we can't take multiple, multiple nights away. Like we can't go somewhere far. Our baby moon was canceled. And I just have this feeling of like lack of freedom that's going to Mm -hmm. come from the next year. And I'm not complaining about it because I love the breastfeeding side of it, but it is something you have to plan for. So I'm glad that you brought up all those points because from the non-birth parents perspective, they just, you just don't know. 
Like you don't know as, all the commitment that's involved. And as a woman who has so many female friends, like I said, who had, who had had babies, I've been watching this for so long. I mean, I've been in and around breastfeeding as an element in, in, um, time management for so long. You just, you just, it's so dominant. And I think men aren't really exposed to that too much until their wife is breastfeeding. Mm-hmm. And that must feel very shocking because, you know, I, at least from the, you know, again, woman with a woman vantage point, this is something I had seen and catered to and been supportive of in my friends. And it's not like a lot of women are exposing men to that. Frequently. So this must be a shock. For them, honestly, <laughs> it was a shock. To be the first, fair, the, the first time we went to a, a an out of town wedding, and we're calling, being like, "Wait, you have to pump again? Like, didn't you just pump?" I'm like, "I'm even like taking four or five hours in between. Like, this is nothing compared to being at home." Right. Let's shift gears here a little bit. What does work life look like for you and Val, and has it changed at all over the course of parenthood? Yeah. Totally different than when we were then pre-parenting for us. Um, both Val and I worked outside the home up until um, actually only two years ago, and I think it goes back to that thing I was talking about earlier of like age and stage. I mean, honestly, had you told me ten years ago that I would be living in suburban Milwaukee, <laughs> married to a woman with, th- and then have three small children, like I just would not have believed you, and worked for a a corporation. It just, I would, it would not have been possible, like 0% chance, like the twins. <laughs> no, but, but, um, but, you know, we, but I love it. I love my life. I love where we are. Um, Val stays home now. We decided that two years ago when we moved from, you know, we lived in South Minneapolis. We moved to suburban Milwaukee to be closer to her family. Um, we just made all of these preemptive choices and changes to support our age and stage, which I think then supported our ability to keep our couple strong. And that is, you know, we're reframing and adjusting to suit and support our long-term goals. So yeah, Val is staying home. We didn't know if she would like it and she, she liked it. Um, and then the twins came and she likes it, but (laughs) you know, it's harder. Um, and you know, and so I don't know, maybe we're, we're continually open to a change as well if something changes for us individually. So yeah, our work life looks a lot different today. Um, but it is totally appropriate for what we need right now. I really love how you talk about all of this stuff and the idea of it being fluid, because I remember when, you know, this was back five years ago when Drew and I were thinking of starting our family and I was a nurse at the time. And I remember thinking like, I would totally be a stay at home mom if I could, like that would be the version of motherhood that I was looking for. Now I have switched careers. Like that isn't the version that I had pictured, but it's a, this is a really good version. So I think staying open to change and, and maybe someday Vale wants to make another change and you being open to that, I think is just, it's just kind of the way to do life. Like we can't, always know what is to come or how we're going to feel. Yeah. I mean, I think that just like with anything, nothing is inherently good or bad or right or wrong. I mean, I was, you know, in college, I was going to be a woman who sat in Parisian cafes and smoked cigarettes and wrote books. (laughs) 
you know, and, and I didn't think I was going to be a woman who was living in a suburban environment with multiple small children. But what I really at the core of both of those things is I just want to be happy. And so what I want or need to be happy today looks way different than it did 20 years ago. And it'll look different five years from now. I think just having the confidence as an individual to reframe your expectations of yourself and of your partner is at the core of reaching that goal, whatever it might be. And for me, it's being happy and comfortable and feeling in a strong partnership. What you said just there has to be a sound bite because it's the goal of our podcast is for women to realize it's not stay-at-home moms versus working moms or this versus that. It's like really you have to find the ability to find what is best for your life. Nothing's right or wrong. It's what's going to work best for Colby, Amy, Abby, and everyone listening. You know, and it's so hard. I do say this in the book as well, but, you know, and and this is kind of a sidebar, but breastfeeding, for example, in America is all but like a competitive sport amongst women. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's just so, there's so many pressures around it. There's so much judgment, even if you don't want to be judgmental. It's just there. And I think that's a good example, a microcosm of it's hard for people to let each other (laughs) be happy or to pursue their own happiness um, without coming to others. It's, it's not natural. It feels, but yeah, it's key. You just have to have to be confident and focus inwardly as opposed to compare outwardly. Colby, thank you so much for everything today. It's been incredible (laughs) to have this talk with you. And also, thank you for your amazing book. Um, There's so many dads out there that it's just going to resonate with, so many birth parents that I just can't wait until they get their hands on it. So please let everyone know where they can find a little bit more about you and where they can find your book. Sure. So I'm selling print copies, hard copies, directly on my website, which is tipsandtruthsfordudes.com. I'm also selling digital versions on Amazon, so you can look it up there. You can also visit my Facebook page at Tips and Truths for Dudes. That's the name of the Facebook page. And that will take you to the website. Okay, Colby, you left us with so many good tips. So if you guys out there found this to be a helpful episode, if you would go ahead and share it with a friend that might be heading into parenthood so that we could help her and her partner avoid some of these huge traps, that would be a huge favor to all three of us.